For your attention tonight, if you would turn with me to the book of Colossians. Uh, I want to read from the first chapter. I don't know, maybe it would be a good thing just to do a study of this book because it certainly has intrigued me through the years. But it is short in length, but deep in knowledge and word. Colossians chapter 1. I want to begin reading with verse 1, and then we're going to skip down to verse number 9 and 10. And Paul begins this letter by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are, the King James Version has at Colossae, but in the original text, it is the same word that was used when it says brethren in Christ. So if I could read it that way, I wouldn't be changing the meaning to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are in Colossae. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, of your faith and your love, that you, we do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with all the knowledge of His will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, Strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience, and long-suffering with joyfulness. Amen. Man, that is such an awesome scripture. <laughs> I just hope that I can do justice tonight to what I feel in my heart. My subject, what you're in beats what you're in. Say that with me. What you're in beats what you're in. Say that again. What you're in beats what you're in. You said, Brother Hughes, you're confusing me. Well, hang on, maybe I won't before it's over. Everybody said amen. Let's take the word tonight. You may be seated. The book of Colossians was written to the early church that had sprung most likely out of the revival that came to Ephesus. If you read the book of Acts, you will find that perhaps the greatest revival, the most prolific revival that came in the New Testament church happened at Ephesus. 
the Bible speaks of Paul being there for some two and a half years. And it was during that time that the spread of the gospel really took root in Europe and Asia. It was out of the Ephesian revival that many churches were spawned. And it's very likely that this church in Colossae was one of them. Colossae was a hundred miles from Ephesus. But at that time, it was one of three cities that dwelled in a fertile valley near the river Lycus. And the other cities were very prosperous and very noteworthy. Uh, Colossae had been at one time a very prosperous city and a very populous city, but the twin cities near it that were within just a matter of a few miles, some say that you could actually see one city from the other, overshadowed them. The other two cities were Laodicea and Hierapolis. Laodicea became a wealthy, wealthy city. And by its uh, trade and by its uh, acumen, it garnered the trade and the law courts of that area. So when you read in Revelations of the Lord speaking about Ephesus or about Laodicea as being rich and increased with good, he was speaking a literal truth that they were very prosperous and they had been blessed beyond means. The other city, Hierapolis, was a resort town of sorts. It was known for its hot springs and so it became a spa resort. And most of the physicians and doctors of that day would send their patients there hoping that they could find some remedy for their ailments. And the other city was Colossae. As you can only imagine, over a period of time, the other two cities overshadowed it and it became a no place. Just a, 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 a secondary thought on the horizon of humanity. And yet, it was here that the gospel came. This city was probably... According to what you read in Colossians, a city that was largely traditional in many ways, and yet it had leanings that opened the door for many things that would be problematic to the early church. They seemed to be a people that leaned toward the aesthetic and the novelties of the day, and they seemed to be interested in philosophies of of various sorts. But as time passed, they faded and declined. And in a process of time, they became slack and indifferent. And they became shockingly bad as a city and community. They were slack. They were, according to historians, shifty, untrustworthy. They were craven and crass. And into that environment came the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what a difference it made. There were those who were found in Christ in that place. And under his tutoring and under the leadership of the Spirit of God, there began to appear in that community a new man, a different man, 
a man known as trustworthy and faithful. And one of the ways that Paul acknowledged them was as those being faithful. It was in reference to what they had not been in the past. Now under Christ, they had become faithful. And he labeled them as saints. He put them in a whole nother category. They may have felt like they were just backwater people or they were from nowhere or no land of any importance. And yet now in Christ, they were saints of the Most High. They had been brought into a fellowship of His his family. And now their influence and their connections reached beyond the borders of their community. It was here that Paul defines the power of the gospel on any environment, no matter what it is, good or bad, lazy or whatever. There is an influence of the gospel that is life-changing. And no matter where you live and no matter what the city or the location might be. When you are in Christ, that changes everything. Somebody say, in Christ. He established there to them a spiritual principle that what you are in, in Christ, trumps what you are in Colossae. And I don't know, you can take it for whatever it's worth, but... You could change that word Colossae to Alvin or League City or Lubrizol or Pennzoil or Gulf Oil. I don't even know. I'm dating myself. I don't even know if those companies exist anymore. Shell or Marathon or Chase Bank or a hospital. It doesn't matter what the environment is. You can change the, the name and the location. But every location has its own set of problems. And every location has its own set of issues. But Paul came to a group of people and tried to get through to them what I would like to get through to you. That it really doesn't matter what you live in. What matters is what lives in you. You could live in a bad environment or a bad city, but living in Christ should make a difference to you. You could live in a bad relationship, or you could live in a bad family, or you could live in a bad culture. That does not have to define who you are and what you become. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord for that. Somebody said, well, he's just a hick from nowhere. No, I'm a saint of the Most High. Amen. My name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, and I am forever called by his name. You cannot put me in a location and tell me that that's all that I will ever become because the word and the promise of God to the church at Colossae was, it really doesn't matter if it's Colossae or Thessalonica 
or Laodicea or wherever. You could be living in the, in the hell of Rome. But if you are in Christ, what you are in beats what you are in. Whatever you're having to live through or live in or live with, when you have the Lord inside of you, you have something that the world can't give you and the world cannot take it away from you. Amen. Somebody say, thank God for what's in me. Amen. Amen. Thank God for what's in me. Paul opens his letter with a statement that intrigues me. To those in Colossae who are in Christ, they lived in two environments. They were residents of two places. They were dwelling literally on such and such a street at such and such a location. Their names appeared on the city registries as laborers or as peddlers or as men of means. But there was another sphere in which they lived. And there was another sphere in which they moved, and that was in Christ. And that sphere overshadowed whatever other sphere might have influence over them. They lived in a city where many people had become lazy and they had excused their laziness because of lack of opportunity. Laodicea overshadowed them. Hariopolis overshadowed them. And they didn't have the opportunity and the advantages of their neighboring towns. But Paul said, because you are in Christ, that trumps what other thing you might be in. You may be in trouble tonight. But if you've got the Holy Ghost, what's in you is greater than what's against you right now. Hallelujah. And somebody needs to understand tonight that it is not so much what I live in as it is what lives in me that makes the difference in my life. Amen. I've had people tell me, well, I can't live for God in this neighborhood. I can't live for God in this Oh, I shouldn't say this in this church. I can't live for God with this person. I can't live for God with these problems. And Paul said, no, you, you've got it wrong. Because if you really have the Holy Ghost, you can live next door to hell, and hell will not prevail against you. You can live in the shadow of that place of torment and yet be victorious and live triumphantly because what is in you is greater than what is against you. And what is in you trumps what is against you. And what is in you is more important than what you are in right now. Amen. Their names may have appeared on the registry of the city, but they also appeared on the registry of heaven. When the street doors closed to them, another door opened to them. When the marketplace would not favor them, then the market of heaven favored them. When the men of the city tried to cut them out, God cut them in and God made a way. They were part of a universal and a heavenly crowd. They were in Colossae, but what was more important was they were also in Christ. 
and that trumped all other things. The apostle himself had many different kingdoms of thought and feelings in his life. If you listen to Paul, you would hear him say with patriotic pride, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was born a Hebrew. On another occasion, he said, I am of Tarsus, a citizen of no mean city. In another occasion, he said, I am a Roman citizen. I am freeborn. I am of the empire that rules the world. But then he claimed an even more august setting when he said, I am not only a citizen of Rome, but he said, I am a citizen of heaven. Hallelujah. This was the influence of his life that trumped all others. You may be from Tarsus or you may be a Roman, but that really doesn't matter. What needs to be known tonight is your name written in the Lamb's book of life because that's the environment that will trump all other environments. Amen. Praise God. Somebody say, what's in me is greater than what's against me. Come on, say it. Don't be afraid to say it. What's in me is greater than what's against me. Amen. And what I'm in beats what I'm in. Amen. Amen. All of the worlds that Paul knew failed him at one time. The synagogue cast him out. The brethren of Tarsus disowned him. And under the Roman rule, he was sentenced to the dungeon, but the heavenly world never shut him out. Your friends may cut you off. Your family may disown you. But you are a part of a fellowship that you will never be disowned by, the family of God. That's why I love the church. That's why I don't like to talk about the church, because this is my family. And I don't like other people talking about my church, because it's my family. Anybody like people talking about your family? Saying bad things about your family? I don't like that. Because this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I came from nowhere. My dad, no degree, no pedigree, and yet God chose to bless me and elevate me and put me into his family and make me a part of his family, and I've been able to go to places I would have never gone to it if not been for the work of God. I am blessed beyond measure tonight because of what God did for me in my life, and he has brought me from a mighty long way. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I am from Wichita Falls, but what I'm really proud of is that I am a citizen of heaven, that I have been bought with a price, and that that spirit that dwells in me is what helps me overcome everything that I have to deal with on a daily basis. I can deal with fools and idiots as long as I know I'm a citizen of another world. Amen. I can. I, I, I may be ostracized and cut out, but I'll never be cut off from my heavenly connection. Because of that, it's what helped keep his temper, I believe. I believe Paul had the potential of being a hothead. You know why I know that? Because of the way he persecuted the Christians before he became one. He had the potential of having a temper 
that you and I could not stand. And yet under the influence of another world, God transformed his temperament and his spirit and made him the flaming evangel of the New Testament church. And it was what kept his temper sweet. It was what kept his heart still from being afraid when he's, I mean, you're a jailbird. He spends more time in prison than he does in the pulpit. What would you think of me if I spent more time? I know what you would think of me. Most of you would not want to be connected to a church where the preacher spent more time in jail than he did preaching from the pulpit. Now, you don't think that doesn't stress somebody out. But you know what kept Paul's heart? is that he knew it didn't matter where he was. It wasn't where he was that counted. It was what was in him that counted. So he could be in a Roman prison, but the Roman prison couldn't stop him. It couldn't silence his tongue. He could call in a scribe and say, I want you to write a letter to Ephesus. I want you to write a letter to Colossae. As a matter of fact, this letter was written from prison to those that are in Colossae. But I want to remind you that more important than that, you are in Christ. And the fact that you are in Christ overshadows everything else that you are up against. Amen. Praise God. Well, it's not doing for you what it did for me. Amen. Say, what I'm in beats what I'm in. If you live in the city with people all about you, and clamoring every day of your life, you need a life that is above the city. And this is what Paul found. The fact is that since you are in Colossae, or since you are in Alvin, or since you are in League City, or since you are in Houston, or since you are in misery, or since you are in pain, or since you are in anger... We only the more need to know that we are also in Christ. Because when we are in Christ, it will help raise us above whatever else we might be. You might be in a mess tonight. But if you're with Him, He can get you through the mess. You may be in a bad situation tonight, but if you're in Him, He can get you through the bad situation. The city affected their lives, but not in the way that they thought. These people were in Christ, and that's what helped them triumph over the fact that they were in Colossae. And Paul taught them how to live in the city. Amen. I want to teach you how to live in the city. Can I tell you how to live in the city? If you're going to live in the city, you've got to live with the knowledge of His will. That's what Paul prayed in verse 9, 10, and 11. He said, I pray that you would know, fully know the will of God. Because only when you understand and know the will of God do you know that what you see with your natural eye is not all there is to what's going on right now. That when you know the will of God, you come to understand that what is temporal will pass away, but what is eternal will stand forever. And you are part of something that is eternal. The devil can't beat it out of you. He can't strip it away from you. He can't steal it from you. It's yours for eternity. And when you come to a knowledge of his will, 
You forget about trying to make God listen to you and you start trying to listen to God. Amen. You see, that's where a lot of us get in trouble living for God. We're always trying to tell God something or make God listen to us. We call it prayer. But really, a lot of prayers just gripe sessions. And a lot of prayer is just our, our futile effort to try to convince God that He needs to do something in our behalf. When Paul prayed, he did not pray that they would know how to pray. He prayed that they would know how to know the will of God. Because when you come to know the will of God, you become more interested in listening to Him than God listening to you. And you become more in tune with what He might have to say about your life than what you have to say about your life. Because what you have to say about your life isn't all there is to your life. What you have to say about your life is pretty limited because all I can see is what's around me. But there's another dimension that I can't even see. And it takes a supernatural touch of God. It was so in the Old Testament. The, the angel surrounded Elijah and, he, and the prophet come in and, 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 and said, God, would you open the eyes of this servant so he can see what's with us? And when God opened his eyes, he saw beyond the legions of the enemies that surrounded them. There was an angelic host that surrounded all of them. You see, when we are so consumed with our life that all we see is our problems and our troubles and our worries and all the things that have us stressed out, we are not looking at life the way God is looking at life. So what we need to learn how to do is pray the will of God. God, help me to not see life from my limited perspective, but give me a glimpse of life from your view. Amen. God sees me as an overcomer. Not trying to pursue God to do what we want Him to do, but trying to find out what God wants us to do. To learn how to listen. To learn the will of God. If you're going to live in the city, you need to learn how to pray and live the will of God. God, what do you want me to do today? What do you want to say to me today? How do you want me to live my life today? What is it that you have planned for my life today? How is it you're going to direct my life today? How is it you're going to bring me to the end that you promised? To live in Colossae and yet be a child of heaven, you are going to have to know the will of God. And to know that God's will for your life is more important than anything else. You're going to live in this city. You're going to have to know not only the will of God, but Paul said, I pray that you would have wisdom and understanding. Everybody say wisdom, understanding. Two things. Actually, they're the same word, but they have, uh, they're, they're different. They're, they're not the same in their meaning, they're the same word, patience, but they are not the same word in, 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 in the actual rendering of it. They, they speak of something much more than that. Spiritual wisdom is knowledge of first principles. It's understanding what, the, what life is in its priorities. It's understanding that there is an order to life and there are things that are more important. And so 
Spiritual wisdom is knowledge of those, uh, those first things. And then understanding means that you now have the ability to apply those first principles to any given situation which you face in life and to understand that the great truths of life apply to every decision and every task of life, that you need wisdom and you need understanding. You need first principles and you need to know how to apply them and you need the spirit to know how to live in an atmosphere where that can happen. Able to write about life is one thing, but able to live life is another. I've had a lot of people that were really good at telling me how to live, but they didn't know how to live. I've had a lot of people that tell me how to fix my problems, but they didn't know how to get out of their own problems. What I want to know is, God, what are the first principles? What really matters? What, how do I need to order my life? What are the priorities that will help me live above the environment that I'm in? What are the priorities that I establish in my life that when they're rooted there, it doesn't matter if I live in Alvin or League City or Friendswood or Houston or New York City or Timbuktu? It doesn't matter where I live. What matters is what lives in me. Amen. And I have wisdom. I have a knowledge of first principles. And then I have understanding. I have a means of applying that to my life so that in every situation, in everything that I face, I have an, a, 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 an ability to deal with those things and go on through life. And this wisdom and understanding, Paul went on to say, it has to issue in a conduct that is pleasing. A bad city does not mean that you can live bad lives. You, just because you live in a bad environment doesn't mean you have to be a bad person. Just because you live in a rude environment doesn't mean you have to be a rude person. I've had to remind myself of that a lot of times living in Houston. Especially at McDonald's. I don't know why it is at McDonald's. They have two lanes. And I've had people, I don't know what it is. Maybe they're hoping they can get their Happy Meal a little bit quicker than I'm going to get mine. But I had a lady the other day that was drowned and determined that she wasn't going to let me have my line, my, my space in the line. And she just kept nudging her car up there. And I just looked at her for a while and I thought, lady... If that Happy Meal is that important to you, you go right ahead and get in here. You know what? There's a lot of folks, there's people that would get out and fight over stuff like that. We've had people on the freeway here just stop in the middle of the freeway and get out and duke it out right there on the freeway. That's the world we live in. But Paul said, hey, just because you live a bunch of amid a bunch of turkeys doesn't mean you have to be one. Amen. I'm trying to teach you how to live in the city. <laughs> You're going to need a lot of Holy Ghost to live in the city. <laughs> Amen. But you've got, to, you've got to understand that you cannot act bad just because you live in a bad location. Say, so, well, the reason I'm so mean is because my wife just treats me mean. No, the reason you're mean is just because you're mean. Quit blaming it on your wife. Well, the reason I'm so grumpy 
you had to live. You know what? Quit blaming your environment on your attitude. Jesus, have mercy. Where in the world did you get this stuff from, Brother Hughes? It came from the Lord, evidently. Somebody said, do you get up grumpy? No. I try to let her sleep a little extra in the morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Somebody have an extra bed tonight, I might need a place to sleep after church. <laughs> I'm being facetious, but the point is we blame a lot of things on our environment and our behavior. We blame it because of where we live. We excuse it. Well, you know what? We live with a bunch of idiots. You just have to act like an idiot. Drive like one. Talk like one. Even make gestures like some of them. Ooh. Ah, Lord have mercy. I didn't see all this in it when I started, but that's. But the point is this, that if you are going to live in the city, you're going to have to live with a wisdom and an understanding that will, will translate into your personal life so that you don't allow your environment to dictate your attitude. Just because you work with jerks doesn't mean you have to be one. Or if you work with cheaters, doesn't mean you have to be a cheater. Or if you work with liars, you have to become a liar. Just because everybody cheats on their income tax doesn't mean you cheat on your income tax. Everybody doesn't do that, but we use that as an excuse. It's like if everybody's doing it, it ought to be okay. It doesn't matter what everybody's doing. The, what matters is what is in you. What is in you? Or what are you in? And if what you are in is having more influence over what is in you, you might need to find an altar someplace and ask God to help you and fill you again with the Holy Ghost so that there is an influence there that no matter what happens around you? There is no power of, of circumstances or environment that can take away from you what God has put in you. And that we conduct ourselves in a way that pleases God. I've had to repent many times going down the highway because of things that happen. And you know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden you realize that you're acting just like the rest of these people. And I'm thinking, God, if by chance that, you know what's crazy? I, I have to tell you this. Somebody was telling me about um, somebody that cut them off on the freeway one day and it made them so mad. They just stomped on the gas and they were flying up beside them. They fixed And when they pulled up beside them, they looked over there. It was a person from their church. And they looked at him kind of surprised. And at that moment, you know, you're kind of caught with your hand in the cookie jar. What are you going to do now?
Just wave, smile and wave. But the fact is, more often than we want to even admit, the culture that we live in is causing a lot of us to cave in and think that because our, our world's going crazy that that's the way we ought to. If there's a sane place anywhere in the world, it better be in the church. It better be the saints of the living God. If there's a sane place in your community, it ought to be your home. It ought to be your house. It ought to be your people. If there's a place of peace in this area, it ought to be right here. If there's a place where people can come and say, man, I don't know what it is about this place, but when I come here, I feel something I don't feel anywhere else. That's the way it ought to be because there's, there should be something in this environment that tells them it doesn't matter what you're in. What's in here is more important than what you're in. Amen. I'm going to move on. I need to hurry. If you're going to live in the city, you're going to have to live with patience. And I got ahead of myself a while ago, and this is what I really wanted to get to. You're going to have to have fortitude and long-suffering. Everybody say fortitude, long-suffering. Those are the two words that mean the same. They both mean patience, but they have different connotations. If you're going to live in the city and not let the city live in you, and not let the city beat you, then you're going to have to have fortitude. Everybody say fortitude. Patience. That's not bowing your head and letting the tide roll over you. And that's not bowing your head and let people beat you up. It is not that at all. It simply means that you have the ability to bear things. But more than that, you have the ability in bearing them to transform them into something of glory in your life. That instead of a curse, it becomes a blessing. Instead of a pain, it becomes a power. It is a conquering patience. It is the ability to deal triumphantly with anything that life can do to you. Life can do some really crazy things. It can do some hurtful things. But fortitude is the ability to bear whatever life can do to you and not let it break you down and not let it beat you up. Amen. It is the ability to stand in the midst of the rain and sing, How great thou art. Amen. It is the ability to raise your hands amid all the chaos and praise Him anyhow. You'll need fortitude when no situation is working in your favor. You need a fortitude that no situation can defeat and no circumstance can defeat. That's what you need when you live in the city is a fortitude, the ability to bear whatever life does to you. And make it work for your good. Make something good come out of it. And then he said you're going to need long-suffering. Everybody say long-suffering. That's what you're doing right now with my preaching. Long-suffering. Patience. That word means patience with people. Now Paul said you've got to have strength to deal with problems and circumstances. But you need patience in dealing with people. Because people 
will be people. As Henry Labrie said, they're human, just humans. And that's not always a very positive thing to say. But long-suffering is the quality of mind and heart that enables a man to bear with people, (laughs) no matter what kind of people they are. Amen. Anybody here deal with jerks? I hate to use that term, but I mean, you deal with, I mean, you deal with people that just, they're not all there. I mean, they don't make sense. They're, they're off their rocker. They don't, life is about nothing but them, and that's all they see, just them, 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 them. And uh, you're having to deal with that on the job, in the neighborhood, when you're trying to build something, when you're trying to do something, you're fighting the adversities. What you need to live in the city is patience with people. The quality of mind and heart that will enable a man to bear with people, that whatever their unpleasantness, whatever their maliciousness, whatever their cruelty, it never drives them to bitterness, and it never drives them to irritation. They are unlovely, but you find a way to love them anyway. Because real love is not based on how good you are. It's based on the need that's in your life. Amen. It is the Spirit which never loses patience with or belief in or hope for mankind. And you're going to need a lot of that if you're going to live in the city. Patience with people. Say that with me. Patience with people. Some of you are saying, I wish I'd have stayed home tonight. I didn't need to hear this. Because you're going to have to go home and deal with this word later on. And when you run up against some knothead tomorrow or some illogical, delusional, whatever else you might call them, person, you're going to want to think things that are not in your best interest. And you're going to need to remember the word. God... Help me to have patience. Help me to be patient with people, long-suffering, that no human being will defeat my love or take away my hope. You'll need patience that no person can defeat. Amen. Because people will try your patience. Amen. And lastly, Paul said, you're going to need some joy. Everybody say joy. Let's, let's stand. I'm going to close with this one. You're going to need some joy. If you're going to live in the city, if you're, going to, if you're going to be what Paul said of the Colossians, they were in Colossae, but they were in Christ. You're going to need to know a little bit about joy. What am I talking about? I'm talking about though you live in a struggling world, you are not a victim of those things. That there is something inside of you that is triumphant. There's something in you that the Son has brought, not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. That whether the Son, S-U-N, is shining or not, the S-O-N is always shining. An attitude of life that circumstances cannot shake and suffering cannot unroot. The shadows of life cannot quench its radiance. 
victorious over circumstances and patient with people. Joy. Joy. It is a gladness that because Jesus has come into my heart, everything has changed. We used to sing that old song, Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. There's a joy floods my soul like the sea billows roll since Jesus came into my heart. How many of you remember when you received the Holy Ghost? How long ago has that been? How long? When did you receive the Holy Ghost, Brother Cox? 35 years ago. Brother Buddy, how long ago? 43 years ago. Brother Peden, how long ago? 60 years ago. Brother Casey, about 50 years ago. Anybody remember when the Holy Ghost came in, the joy and the peace, that clean feeling that you had? Anybody remember that? You remember? I'm telling you, it, it seemed like it was yesterday when I received the Holy Ghost, that, that cleansing that came into my life. And when I got up from that altar, my goodness, you could have spit in my face and I would have smiled and shouted hallelujah. Isn't it amazing how time changes things? You do that today and I might have something else to say. But you see what happened back then is he put joy down in my soul. And somehow in the living of life and in the living of the city, We've let the city take the joy. We've let it take that happiness, that smile, that peace. Somehow, if you're going to make it, you're going to have to recapture that joy. And I, 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 you're not born with it. It's something you have to uh, accumulate and acquire in life. And the only place that I really know where to get it is in the Holy Ghost. Because the Bible said it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And so the point is that if you're going to have joy, you're going to have to stay full of the Holy Ghost. And that's really the way you're going to get through living in the city. That's the way you're going to... Overcome whatever you're living in, whatever it might be, a problem, a trouble, a pain, confusion, turmoil, heartbreak, disappointment, whatever it is you might be living in. What is in you will beat what you're in. I get joy when I think about what He's done for me. There's joy down in my soul. Some writer said the joy bells of heaven. I don't know if there's joy bells in heaven, but I know that there are in my heart at times when I feel the presence of God come over my soul. There is something that just sweeps through my heart and mind and lets me know it doesn't matter what I'm living in or living through or having to put up with. There's something in me that beats everything that's against me. And I can live through whatever I need to live through because I've got Jesus in my heart today. Amen.
Amen. Somebody lift your hands to him right now and thank him for what he's done for you.